possible because I'm recording. Click, click. I don't know, like I feel like when I when I started, I'm like hit record. Let's start the show. But I know <laughs> I do like the little introduction button. Like I think it's cute. Sarah loves them. Sarah loves a cold yeah, open. It's that's, cute. That's what we call it in the biz. <laughs> Scary girl. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Christina. And this is Dead, Dead Time Stories. Stories. Episode 86. Six, six, there you go. Just 86. It's not, oh my God, can you imagine if it was 8,666? Oh my God, that'd be a lot of episodes. <sighs> be a lot of episodes. Here's hoping. I don't know what we'd even talk about. I don't either. <laughs> There'd be no shit. Great show. Great show. <laughs> What is the show? I was just going to say. So if you're not familiar with the show, Christina is actually a substitute guest, uh, a substitute host, I should say. Hi. She's a guest host. She's a substitute host. She's a substitute teacher. She's uh she's not that last part. I'm not a substitute teacher. She's not a substitute teacher. So Christina is here. (laughs) (laughs) She is substituting for Sarah Heddens, the other co-host of Dead Time Stories. Yeah. And in her stead, we have Christina here, who is a regular guest contributor on the show. And we enjoy having her on. Yep. Uh, so normally it's myself and Sarah Heddens, mm-hmm. and we release a weekly podcast where we talk about ghost stories, true crimes, paranormal, supernatural, just the generally weird and eerie shit that we like to talk about. And we make light of it and make jokes. We talk about whatever we want because it's our sh- podcast. <laughs> I was like, are you going to do I don't want to fuck it up again. Because <laughs> it's our show and not yours. Right. Air. Like it. I like it. So you said there was something you wanted to bring up in the banter previously. Yeah. So in the episode before this one, episode yes, 84. Episode. So I listened to 85. that. 85. Or the two episodes two ago. Two episodes The ago. last episode with Sarah. Yes. So uh, I was driving. The last driving. episode of 2019. It was the last episode of 2019. Happy 2020. Um, so I was driving from Raleigh to Philly. Yes. And I had my dog riding shotgun. Woof, woof. Ooh. And uh, that's fine. We can edit that out. (laughs) Sarah! (laughs) But um, I was listening to the episode on my way back, and I heard Sarah bring up Don't Fuck With Cats. Yes. And as I was driving, I went, no! Because I do not recommend Don't Fuck With Cats for a couple of reasons. Um, I liked what she did. I was worried she was going to go over the story, which I don't think I could take again. It was very upsetting, and that's reason number one. Like, I'm a true crime diehard. Like, I fall asleep watching Investigation Discovery. Shit doesn't bother me anymore. But this bothered me. It wasn't just the visual. It was also the sounds of what happened. It was awful it was awful okay and the second reason and they bring this up later like at the very end of the documentary the second reason is that the reason this motherfucker whose name i will not say did all of this and more was to be famous so people talk about him so he got a three-part netflix documentary made about him and that's what he wanted in the first place so christina's like no thanks and i'm like no if i could take back my viewing i would and I was really worried that Sarah was going to do him in an episode because I don't think that motherfucker deserves any more airtime. Okay. And that's why. 
So do but what you want. Yeah, and she talked about the she uh, didn't. The she Barbie talked Ken, about yeah Ken the Ken and, and Barbie killers, which was amazing. Um, so oh, fucked so fucked up, but good. It was really good. It was a good episode. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying it. to live up to that. But I, I we have differing opinions. That's fine. You've heard them both. So make your own decision like a grown up. <laughs> I don't know. Knowing what not I you know, specifically, you the, the you the audience, you the people, right? The fans. That's fair. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like it sounds very. It sounds rough. It sounds really fucking rough. Mm hmm. So. Mm hmm. I've had some nightmares. Woof. Yeah. So yeah, that was really the only banter that like that I had up my sleeve. I know. I'm trying to think of more banter. I will say, so. Again, we're recording this episode on December 30th, even though this will come out in January. Um, so tonight is the 30th. Tomorrow is the 31st. So mm -hmm. we will be at a murder mystery New Year's Eve party yes. right here in this very home at Mary Angela and Eric's house. So excited. Super, super, super excited. Mm -hmm. The theme is Lights, Lights camera, camera, Murder. I'm fairly certain I'm going to be the victim mm -hmm. all yeah. my life. Yeah. And... <laughs> Um, I think I'm, I'm the biggest red herring. Like, I'm the out-of-the-gate red herring. I'm really excited. We're also going to spend the night. Oh, which yeah, we you haven't are. Spent the night. I, like, we always, me and Val, have to figure out, like, who's DDing. So we can never really, like, party hard together when we go out because right. one of us has to get us home. Because you're responsible, and We're that's responsible so good. Adults, right? Yeah. Um, but Mary Angel has a big, lovely home now. And so I you're like, like, fuck it. Hey, anybody sleeping over? Can we sleep over? Right. And we're also really excited because we're going to use her tubs mm. and take baths. And I might take four goddamn baths. I don't blame you. Especially because Mary Angela asked if she could charge a two bath bomb tax, which I was like, woof. And I guess, <laughs> I guess it's doable. Um, but I'm like, then I better use at least four of them because yeah. the tax can't be higher. No, no, no. Than no. like what you're, you know what? You yes, understand what I'm saying? I get you. I'm not gonna pay. But would more. you use four in one sitting? No. Okay. I'm gonna take a bath. I'm gonna empty it. I'm gonna take a second bath right after. I don't know yet. Oh, okay. That's what we're trying. We're trying to figure out the timing of our baths, mm -hmm. but we know we're gonna take multiple baths. Oh yeah, and yeah. It's gonna be great. I'm so excited. You don't understand these tubs, you guys. They're amazing. Just, They're like, like two clawfoot tubs. Old school. They're sit beautiful. in it and spray yourself Each, down. So there are three oh. bathrooms. It's a two and a half baths. Right. Do you want to blow up her spot? Um, I'm. <laughs> I'm about to. Okay. I'm bragging for her. Right. Um, but I mean, first floor has a half bath. Second and third floor, uh, mind you, we're in Philly, so she doesn't live in a mansion. It is a three floor house. It's not like. A crazy house. It's a very it's nice house. Amazing. It's a beautiful house. Everything's I love redone. it. It's so beautiful. Um, but so, yeah. So there's. A, so nice. The bathroom on the second floor and the third floor have a really nice bathtub and a stand, like its own shower. Like they have a separate shower and bathtub. And the bathtub has a little hose. So you can like sit in the tub and like wash yourself with a little shower hose, but sit in the tub. And then the shower is like a closed, like rain shower. Like I can't wait. It's I'm going to fuck up, but I'm going to do both. I'm going right. to take. All the baths and showers. I'm going to do that party, and then I'm going to stay up all night just take a bath. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen. They better get ready. I love it. She was like, please use the third floor tub because it doesn't get enough love. That's she what you said. The yeah. floor. Have so they even fun. used the third one? The I don't third know. Because uh, mostly Halen stays up here, and oh, Halen's right. a shower. Why would he take a bather. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to fuck up that tub. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so excited. really excited. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll take it. Speaking of tubs, mm -hmm. so... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is some good banter. Um, and then Sarah, <laughs> edit as you will. Mm-hmm. So I found out about this hotel, which apparently Val already knows about. Um, but I found out about it because people were posting pictures on Instagram mm. of this place called the Feather Nest Hotel. And it's mm-hmm. in Cherry Hill, which is about 25 minutes outside of Philadelphia. It's in Jersey. And they have, I want to say it's like eight rooms. And each room is like themed. But every room uh-huh. has a king-size bed, mm. a mirror on the ceiling, <laughs> and a two-person jacuzzi tub. Ooh. Um, so you know people be getting busy. Right. Well, and I was seeing pictures that people were posting of themselves. Yeah. People that I follow, because I follow a lot of, like, sex workers, oh, like, models, yeah. and, like, uh, on Instagram. I didn't know where you were going with that. I follow a lot of cake makers. <laughs> like, I follow a lot of weird shit. So I didn't know where you were going with that. I didn't know where I was that. going either. Um, <laughs> but, like, people who, like, take, you know, nudie pictures and sell them. Oh. Um, and they do it in various locations. And they were doing it from this, the Feather cool. Nest Hotel. Cool. And I was, or the Feather Nest Inn. I was like, I've got to look at this. And mm-hmm. I started, like, checking out. And all the rooms are crazy. And one of them is called the Ice Cave. And I was like, mm, if it... I told Val, it's like the emphasis on the decoration is too heavy on cave and not heavy enough on ice. ice. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it looks like a fucking cave. Oh my God. With a bed yes. and a fucking. Like stone rock walls. Yes. And then okay. there's there's one that's like the jungle room. <laughs> there's one that's like King Tut's room. Oh my God. It's like all Egyptian themed. I would there's... feel so bad for cultural appropriation in that room. Um, I would just be like, I'm uncomfortable. There's... I'm really white. I'm so sorry. There's one called Manhattan, <laughs> and Manhattan has a heart shaped tub. <laughs> and I was looking at it, and like, because they're posting pictures, and of course, I there's like the, a I fucking mirror on the ceiling above the tub, too. Yeah. I know. I can't. I gotta go. I have to oh go. My gosh. You understand. Well, okay. So you've definitely seen the Japanese soaking tubs, right? I think so. The ones that, like, you sit down in and they go up to your shoulders, and you literally, like, sit in your tub. Um, like, I knew somebody who had one of those put in their house. And being amazing. I would love that. Because I always feel, because I'm a big girl, so I always feel like if the tub isn't big enough, like my tub right now, it's like a beached whale situation. I can't, I can't to do it. bath in this tub tomorrow. Oh, my God. It's going to be so good. I think I we just did 20 minutes of t- a banter. No, like 10. 10. Um, I laid down in that tub while I was in the bathroom a little oh. while ago just to get an idea. I was like, I'm going to be in you tomorrow. What do you oh, like? God. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be nice. This is going to be nice. I can't wait. I'm really excited. So I guess that's like the equivalent of you fingering the tub. <laughs> kind like, of. Like there was room yeah, around yeah. me as opposed yeah. to me like stuffing the tub. It was just like a finger. Well, no, because it's like I'm going to get more later. <laughs> I'm going to be inside of you later. I'm just testing the waters. But sometimes you just finger like you're just going to do that. Yeah, I know. But like you never know what might happen later. You don't. Sometimes you finger to get the, you know, ding, ding. Get the dang, juices going. Get it going, right? That got weird. Christina. <laughs> Stephanie, y'all, y'all ready, ready to talk, talk about, about some guests? <laughs> what are you talking about this week, Christina? Um, so I'm actually going to be talking about YouTube. About YouTube? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were we were talking yesterday because Stephanie came by and we did like a procreate session together. It was so it's much like fun. Our thing. It's oh I my god, it. so I love is. doing that. It's so I oh, love yes. it. I love it too much. We get to hang out and we get mm-hmm. to learn. We take in a class together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Skillshare, mm-hmm. you guys should you know sponsor. We just have a blast. Yeah, Skillshare, Netflix. We need to get them sponsorships. All of them. Oh, what if we got Procreate to sponsor us, girl? That would be amazing. Uh, that would be cool. Anyway, um, I haven't seen that one out there though. But so YouTube <laughs> is 
this weird social media platform where people post videos, obviously, but a lot of times people who use YouTube go there because they want to learn something. Yes, because I was telling you that's mostly what I use YouTube for. Right. Because Christina was talking about all these different YouTubers, and I was like, I... I find the idea very fascinating, these, mm-hmm. like, famous YouTube celebrities, but I don't really know any of them. Right. I strictly use YouTube as, like, a tutorial website. Like, when I want to learn how to do something, I go to YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then, especially if I'm bullet journaling, I will just let, like, bullet journal playlists play while let I'm working on my bullet journal. Oh, yeah. 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 And there's, there's thousands. Oh, my God. There are so many. Yeah. There are a lot. Um, But so a lot of people go to it to learn something new. Yes. And so, like, that's kind of why I started it, too, because I started getting into, like, the beauty ones. Like, yes. I started watching people doing makeup, which I thought mm-hmm. was, like, pretty cool. And so that sort of, like, morphed into a few different things because I just sort of browse and gray and do whatever but another topic that's really common on youtube is mental health mm-hmm. and so like she came ho- she came over to my place yesterday and i was watching she being me yeah stephanie came over and i was watching an hour and a half long it was, video it was paused yes <laughs> so i could see the title of the video um called like the madness of kanye west it was something really weird yeah like <sighs> yeah i, wish I could remember exactly the i name can't remember the exact title it it was a a YouTuber it was named like Jay unveiling Aubrey. the mystery of Kanye West. It was like something it was, like that. Yeah, it was, was like, intense. What the fuck are you watching? <laughs> it was intense. And see, like she was like, "Oh my god, are you gonna do Kanye West?" And I'm like, yeah, oh, I, thought, "I could." Right. I thought it's what she was watching because she was gonna talk about him on the show. And I was like, "Ooh, I can't wait to hear where this is going." It was unraveling the madness of Kanye West. Very good. Okay. There it is. Um, but actually, I was watching it because I'm into mental health stuff. I'm just watching you. YouTube and just where watching people YouTube sometimes people went crazy. Well, see, so there's this genre of YouTube called commentary channels, and they kind of encompass the drama channels as well. Mm-hmm. Drama channels are usually um, they're gossipy channels that are about other YouTubers. Um, there's a really <laughs> big. So crazy I know it's so meta. It's so crazy because there's a huge section of people who have no fucking idea who any of these people are. Oh yeah, like, I don't know who any of these I people don't know are. who most of those people are like honestly i don't so i kind of got into like beauty drama because there was a lot of it a couple of years ago um but recently i've been watching more straight up commentary and it's like this bridge between funny youtube personalities and hardcore investigative journal journalism okay okay and it's like this mesh of the two is that I remember there's drama about like a Shane Dawson or Yeah. Okay. So Shane actually is one of the people who got me to this person. Okay. All right. So And um, Shane like does exposés, right? On the, he's That's his like, new thing. Like okay. he used to do just silly shit. And so I watched him when he was doing silly shit. He was someone that my uh college roommate, the other Stephanie, was really into. So Yeah, um, she used to have another college roommate named stephanie who was not me right yes yes to clarify all of that's true um so yeah so this was stephanie she is like five years six years younger than i am no more than that like seven years younger than i am okay so like that was a world of youtube that i was like that's definitely into it because i'm always like youtube is for the younger kids right 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 and so shane dawson was doing silly shit back then in like 2015 okay but now his big thing is doing these multi-episode docuseries yes 
And so the first one that I actually got into was his series on Jake Paul. And so Jake Paul is someone that I had no idea who that was. But he was another YouTuber, But right? he was another YouTuber. And so Shane and another YouTuber who does mental health, who's like a licensed psychologist, analyzed if Jake Paul's activities were sociopathic. So that, to me, was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So they were, like, looking at the things he posted, going through his life, and they actually met him, and they talked to him, and they hung out with him. And they found out that he wasn't really a sociopath, that he was just, you know, doing all the shit for views. Doing it for the gram. Right, exactly. Doing it for the tube. Right. But even some of the stuff in that documentary was found out to be lies, like lies on lies on lies. Like he was in a relationship with a girl while the documentary was being filmed. It turns out that relationship was just for views. It wasn't even real. Like it was all a scam. It, you, like. The fuck? What is going on on it, YouTube? These aren't. These aren't professional researchers. Like, right. these aren't real investigative journalists. These are people who learn how to investigate who I want These are people on YouTube. Yeah, like, these are YouTube personalities. Sure. These are po- people who tell funny stories and shit. Um, and so this whole thing, this Jake Paul documentary, was the perfect timing for a new YouTube channel called The Rewired Soul. Okay. So what The Rewired Soul seemed to be was a channel created by a guy named Chris Boutte. Unfortunate last name, but what are you going to do, right? Um, so, uh, Etu Boutte. Etu Boutte. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, so he was up front. He was an unaccredited uh, mental health professional who said that he had been an addict and he overcome his addiction, and now he was working in the field of mental health. Okay. Um, he also said that his mother, who was an addict, uh, she is a doctor, um, she has her degrees in psychology and she's also a psychology professor. All right. So what he did, his whole spiel was taking pop culture and looking at it through a mental health perspective. And he okay. had this like cheesy little tagline that was, we look at the problem and focus on the solution. Okay. And so it started like before the whole Jake Paul thing, but it really advanced quickly afterwards because he was doing commentary on the Shane Dawson videos. And one thing about YouTube is once something big is published, there are going to be a thousand commentaries on it. So if you had thoughts or ideas or feelings about whatever you just watched, you can go watch someone else. Talk and about their thoughts and feelings about your have thoughts a and conversation. Feelings. Exactly. Exactly. It's it is weird, but it's fun. You know, it's kind of fun. You're like, oh, okay, I didn't think of it that way. Like, "Mm, all right. okay, that's interesting. Or like, yes, you're exactly fucking right. I thought the exact same things. You're totally like dead on, you know. Yeah. And so that's why I started watching him. But really quickly after he kind of got a taste of <laughs> I wish they could see the little hand gesture you did for a little taste. He got he got a little taste. He got a little of the of the fame <laughs> of that YouTube celebrity. Right. He got like a couple thousand subscribers or what have you. Like you do. Started monetizing, started making money off of his YouTube game, whatever. Um he reverted to doing commentary 
on other YouTubers. And it was all very clickbaity. It was all of these like really sensational titles where the episode has nothing to do with it. Like the video has nothing to do with what the title was. And he started really overstepping some bounds. And two of the biggest things that he did. Now, that, who are, we, are we still talking about Jake Paul? No, this is the Rewired Soul. Oh, this is Rewired Soul. Okay. Yeah. So he was the commentary channel. And who, is he the one who made the Kanye video that we were looking at? He made the, one of the videos we watched were from that channel yesterday. Not from the Rewired Soul. Okay. No, because he just does mental health. The one that I watched yesterday was Jay Aubrey. It's a different thing altogether. Um, but same reason for mental health stuff. Like yeah. I thought, I just find that interesting. So when he began to be problematic, one of the first things that he did was diagnose a very popular YouTuber named Trisha Paytas with borderline personality disorder. And that's fucking problematic. <laughs> we talked about borderline personality disorder with good old Kath. Um, and I tried to explain in that episode, which was a few ago, um, that everyone's mental illness is a different flavor. Mm -hmm. But another part of it is that you can't just diagnose someone from an armchair. You've right. You've never met them. You've you don't know never them. Met You're just them. based on the media that you've seen of them. Exactly. You've decided that, that they, they have, have this. a problem. Right. Nope. Right. I got you. Especially something like borderline personality disorder, which people are misdiagnosed with all the time. Constantly. Women. Like exactly. Exactly. Yes. And so he would pick apart her videos and cut them together to do like this, you know, terrible reel of all of the borderline things that she's her done. Yeah. Sure. And it's just shitty. Like, it's just a really shitty thing to do to another person. Yeah. Um, other than that, he also claimed that another YouTube personality, a different one who I don't remember the name of, um, he had been in a car accident. He almost died. And this motherfucker, the rewired soul, goes on and makes a whole video about how he had to be driving under the influence for that to have happened. It it wasn't. Like, I yeah. remember when you had your first car accident. I was just going to say, well, it wasn't. I, the, yes. I, my only ticket I've ever received in my life. Yes. Right. That's exactly what I thought about when you told me that. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I've retold that on the podcast. Oh, have but you? I, I'm not sure. I don't know. When I, the only ticket I've ever gotten in my life, because I am an excellent and <laughs> defensive driver, mm -hmm. was I was, this is when my mom was in the mountains living mm -hmm. up there. And I was driving on a windy mountain road, and I hydroplaned going around a curve, and I went into a ditch. And I was fine, but uh, an officer arrived because somebody, you know, called for help. Mm -hmm. I was fine. The car was fine. Like, just l literally slid off the road, and I was, like, in a ditch. Uh, and when the cop got there, when the officer got there, he wrote me a ticket for speeding and said that I had to have mm -hmm. been speeding in order to have hydroplaned into the ditch, which I wasn't, and that wasn't true. But his logic was that all these other cars were going around the same curve and were not hydroplaning, so therefore I must have been speeding, and he wrote me a ticket. Total horseshit. Bullshit. But that's exactly what that made me think of. That's exactly what this guy did, was he took a situation he had no knowledge about, a person that he'd never met, and said, oh, he's got to have an addiction problem. He's got to have a drug problem. And so around that time, I just stopped watching him. Right, because fuck that guy. Because I was like, fuck that guy. Exactly. Um, so... He started doing all of these commentaries and digging up all these dirt on people, but he would 
specifically say he was not a drama channel and like separate himself oh, from I'm a the drama channel. I'm, I'm a mental health channel. Sure, fuck that. I'm not a drama channel. I'm trying to help people. Like, no, fuck you. So immediately he started with the damage control, right? Like once these drama channels, real drama channels who own their shit, started making videos about him being problematic because he was. Drama. Right. He was like, I'm not like you. I'm not a drama channel. I don't do this. I'm better than you. Da 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 da. Uh oh. Right. How'd that work out for him? Not too great. <laughs> so remember, I said this is what the channel seemed to be. Yes. Because there are drama or commentary channels out there that do a fucking lot more work than this dude. Yeah. Okay. I'm so sure. he started introducing his mom, Dr. Carrie Randazzle, as a licensed psychologist with Carrie over. Carrie Randazzle. Randazzle, yeah. Get out. I can't, That's not a real I name. I can't make it up. I can't make it up. And she's adorable. She's this cute little white lady. Yeah, of course. Um, and She's the old razzle-dazzle. The grand dazzle razzle dazzle <laughs> So uh, he would introduce her as a licensed psychologist. They went over her credentials. Um, she had over 20 years of experience. She worked with people with addiction and, and all this sort of stuff. Sure. So he, she was the expert that he was using to armchair diagnose. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. he worked in the mental health field in what way we sure. don't know. But he worked in the mental health field but he was not licensed. So his mom, who was licensed, would come in and give her opinion on his channel. Um, and then he also made multiple apology videos, like apologizing to everyone. But it was the kind of apology video where it reframed the whole situation to gaslight everyone. Oh, of course. So he would say, like, I'm sorry to Trisha Paytas because... Now I know what harm I did making videos about you because these other people are making videos about me and it's hurting my income and it's hurting my family and people are making videos about my mom and my kid and it's ridiculous and I can't believe that all of these evil people are working against me. I'm so sorry, Trisha Paytas. Like, so, I'm so sorry that... <laughs> for. <laughs> I'm sorry, not because I shouldn't have done what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry because all these other people are doing to me what I did to you. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that was it. That was exactly it. Um, but like I said, a lot of other drama channels picked up on his bullshit. And a lot of other drama channels dug a little bit deeper. Good. And what was really going on with the rewired soul was that this channel was built by him and his mother together. Of course. Um, she was never a separate thing. She was always a part of it. And it was connected to courses that you could buy from them to help with your mental health of course there you go so these hour-long courses that started off at like 25 dollars a course and then somehow grew to like a hundred dollars and then down to fifty dollars and then down to free and then there was a whole lot of weird stuff going on with the courses he also published two books um and he would promote his books he also did a lot of endorsements and like affiliate links in his youtube page so he like was making money 
every way he could find out a way to make money, if that makes sense. And his mother, with 20 plus years of experience, after a little bit more digging, it was found that it was more like nine years of experience, but it had been inflated on this biography and inflated on that biography. And by the time it got to the rewired soul, it was over 20 years of experience. Girl. Yeah. Um, She has a PhD, so technically she can be called doctor. Doctor. She's not a licensed psychologist. She's taught psychology, but she is not a licensed psychologist and never has been. The only licensing she has ever been given was like a board certification for a nurse to have a license to work at a treatment center. Okay. Okay. So bullshit, bullshit 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 it was all bullshit it was all a money grab the whole reason he invented the channel to begin with was to promote these services and these books and his mother's work and it blew up and then blew up uh so yeah the drama channel that gave the most information about what was really going on is one called um l loves t e l l e loves t um she did a three-part series on him and there were other videos that i'd watched from other drama channels that had sort of covered like why this was an issue and why he was problematic but she was the one who really dug in and found all the lies all the shit yeah all the lies. It was all lies. So don't believe what you see on YouTube. But I've learned how to make so many things. I know. I know. But I don't go on YouTube for like news and facts. I go yeah. on YouTube for like, how do I draw this? Right. How do I sew that? Well, and for mental health, it's like people sharing their stories. Sure. People who are licensed, who are giving good advice for how to deal with bad situations. Yes. There's a lot of really helpful, cool stuff out there. But there's also a bunch of predatory people because who just want your money. literally anybody can post to YouTube. Literally Anybody. 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 So do your research. Exactly. Like Christina. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you have a degree in it. So it's like, true. So this is like, true. So I'm into it. it. I'm really into it. But yeah, that that was that's my story. Are you sticking to it? I am. And in my header, I don't know if you saw that, but I called him the rewired troll. Ooh. I know, I know. Oh my god, I hope he listens to this because he's probably one of those people who has like a Google alert Alert set on himself. You might get a ton. You might get a ton of like shitty reviews from that. No, I'm sorry. Trying to bring our reviews back up. I'm sorry. Well, just know it's all fake. Just know if it's from him. If you really listen, if you really listen, you'd love it. That's true. Yeah. So, so yeah, Chris Boutte, get your Boutte out of here. So. There is, so what am I talking about? What are you talking about? So there's a famous essay mm-hmm. from, do I know what year it's from? How famous is it? No. Question. Uh, real famous. <laughs> it's an essay, uh, I didn't realize it was that old, from 1956. Whoa. About the body ritual among the Nakarema. Are you familiar with this piece? Nakarema, no. Nakarema. So you can find all sorts of things about it. Um, I first read this essay because I was telling Christina, I'm talking about an essay, but I don't know if I want to read the essay or just talk about the essay. Also, I don't know how to silence my iPad and I keep getting notifications that my brother is texting me. Phil, It's my brother and my sister. Welcome to the show, y'all. So I'm not going to read you the whole article because the whole article is six pages. 
But I do want to talk about it. Um, it's really more like four pages. But I do want to read you snippets of it. So we're going to talk about the body ritual. The body ritual. Great. Among the, Nak- the Nakamara. Uh, it's all about how this uh, anthropologist is studying the Nakar- the Nakamara. Sorry, the Nakarama. Nakarama. The Nakarama. <laughs> Hey, Nakarama. Hi. So it's all about the body ritual among the Nakarama. So it talks about an anthropologist who spent many, many years with the Nakarama to understand their cultures. Who are the Nakarama? I'm going to tell okay. you. Okay. <laughs> They're a North American group living in the territory between the Canada Cree, the Yukwai and Tahari of Mexico, and the Carib of Arawak of the Antilles. Okay. Do you know where that is? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> West, little, like little in is, Utah, like the, the Skinwalker Ranch. Little is known of their origin, although tradition states that they came from the East. According to the mm. Nakarama mythology, their nation was originated by a culture hero, Nogdingwash. I can't, oh, I can't do it. Yeah. Who is otherwise known for two great feats of strength, the throwing of a piece of wampum across the river Potomac, uh-huh. And the chopping down of a cherry tree in which the spirit of truth resided. Washi was a good guy. Are you catching on yet? Um, yeah, it kind of sounds a little familiar. The Nakarama culture is characterized by a highly developed market economy, which has evolved in a rich natural habitat. Huh. While much of the people's time is devoted to economic pursuits, a large part of the fruits of these labors and considerable portion of the day are spent in ritual activity. Mm-hmm. The focus of this activity is the human body the appearance and health of which loom as a dominant concern in the ethos of the people. While such a concern is certainly not unusual, its ceremonial aspects and associated philosophy are quite unique. The fundamental belief underlying the whole system appears to be that the human body is ugly and that its natural tendency is (laughs) to debility and disease. Oh, my God. Incarcerated in such a body, man's only hope is to avert these characteristics through the use of powerful influences of ritual and ceremony. Every household has one or more shrines devoted to this purpose. Huh. The more powerful individuals in the society have several shrines in their homes, and in fact, the opulence of a house is often referred to in the terms of the number of such ritual (laughs) centers it possesses. (laughs) I've got three ritual centers. There you go. Most houses are a waddle and daub construction, but the shrine rooms of the more wealthy, are walled with stone. Poor mm. families imitate the rich by applying pottery plaques to their shrine walls. So this was still going on in the 1950s? Like, these people were living in... Yes. Okay. While each family has at least one such shrine, the rituals associated with it are not family ceremonies, but are private and secret. Ooh. The rites are normally only discussed with children, and only during the period when they are being initiated into these mysteries. Of course. I was able, however, to establish sufficient rapport with the natives to examine their shrines and have the rituals described to me. The focal point of the shrine is a box or chest, which is built into the wall. In this chest are kept the many charms and magical potions without which no native believes he could live. These preparations are secured from a variety of specialized practitioners. The most powerful of these are the medicine men, whose assistance must be rewarded with substantial gifts. Obviously. However, the medicine men do not provide the curative potions for their clients, but decide what the ingredients should be and then write them down in an ancient and secret language. This writing is understood only by the medicine men and by the herbalists who, for another gift, provide the required charm. So the medicine men aren't really medicine men. They're just like... 
suggesters. They're medicine suggesters. The herbalists are the real medicine men. The charm is not disposed of uh, after it has served its purpose, but is placed in the charm box of the household shrine. Mm -hmm. As these magical materials are specific for certain ills and the real or imagined maladies of the people are many, the charm box is usually full to overflowing. The magical packets are so numerous that people forget what their purposes were and fear to use them again. (laughs) While the natives are very vague on this point, we can only assume that the idea in retaining all the old magical materials is that their presence in the charm box, before which the body rituals are conducted, will in some way protect the worshiper. Beneath the charm box is a small font. Each day, every member of the family, in succession, enters the shrine room, bows his head before the charm box, mingles different sorts of holy water in the font, Mm -hmm. and proceeds with a brief rite of of ablution. The holy waters are secured from the water temple of the community where the priests conduct elaborate ceremonies to make the liquid ritually pure. Mm. In the hierarchy of magical practitioners and below the medicine men in prestige are specialists whose designation is best translated as holy mouth men. The (laughs) Nakarema have an almost pathological horror of and fascination with the mouth. The condition of which is believed to have supernatural influence on all social relationships. Were it not for the Ugh. ritual of the mouth, they believed that their teeth would fall out, their gums would bleed, their jaws shrink, their friends desert them, and their lovers reject them. Obviously. They also believe that a strong relationship exists between oral and moral characteristics. For example... <laughs> I like a little bit of an oral right? characteristic, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. For example, there's a ritual <laughs> ablution of the mouth for children, which is supposed to improve their moral fiber. Mm. The daily body ritual performed by everyone includes a mouth rite. Despite the fact that these people are so punctilious about care of the mouth, this rite involves a practice which strikes the uninitiated stranger as revolting. It was reported to me that the ritual consists of inserting a small bundle of hog hairs into the mouth, along with a certain magical powder, and then moving the bundle in a highly formalized series of gestures. In addition to the private mouth rite, the people seek out the holy mouth man once or twice a year. (laughs) These practitioners have an impressive set of paraphernalia consisting of a variety of augers, owls, probes, and prods. The use of these objects in the exorcism of the evils of the mouth involves almost unbelievable (laughs) ritual torture of the client. Oh, no. The holy mouth man opens the client's mouth and using the above mentioned tools enlarges any holes which decay (gasps) may have created in the teeth. Magical materials are put into the holes. If there are no naturally occurring holes in the teeth, large sections of one or more teeth are gouged out so that the supernatural substance can be applied. He's like an evil dentist. The client's view, the purpose of these ministrations is the is to arrest decay and to draw friends. The extremely sacred and traditional character of the rite is evident in the fact that natives return to the holy mouth men year after year despite the fact that their teeth continue to decay. Hey, let me in that mouth and I'll be your friend. Get out of here. <laughs> interrupting you too much i'm sorry no it's it's very welcome okay <laughs> it's to be hoped that when a thorough study of the nakarema is made there will be a careful inquiry into the personality structure of these people one has to but to one has but to watch the gleam in the eye of a holy mouth man as he jabs an owl into <laughs> an exposed nerve to suspect that a certain <sighs> amount of sadism is involved <sighs> if this can be established a very interesting pattern emerges for the most of the population shows definite masochistic tendencies it was <laughs> yeah they hate their bodies they hate their mouths they uh, it just sounds like bad self-esteem it was to these it was to these that professor or 
I just want to make sure I'm not reading the wrong place. Yes. You're fine. It was to these that Professor Lincoln referred in discussing a distinctive part of the daily body ritual, which is performed only by men. This part of the rite involves scraping and lacerating the surface of the face with a sharp instrument. Special women's rites are performed only four times during each lunar month, but what they lack in frequency is made up for in barbarity. Mm. As part of this ceremony, women bake their heads in a small oven for about an hour. I've had that perm. The theoretically interesting point is that what seems to be a preponderantly masochistic people have developed sadistic specialists. (laughs) The medicine men have an imposing temple or a a latipso. In <laughs> in every community of any size, the more elaborate ceremonies required to treat very sick patients can only be performed at this temple. These ceremonies involve not only the thaumaturge, but a permanent group of vestal maidens who move sedately around the temple chambers in distinctive costume headdresses. Mm. The latipso ceremonies are so harsh that it is phenomenal that a fair proportion of really sick natives who enter the temple ever recover. Small children mm-hmm. whose indoctrination is still incomplete have been known to resist attempts to take them to the temple house. That's where you go to die, they say. Mm. Despite this fact, sick adults are not only willing but eager to undergo the protracted ritual purification if they can afford to do so. No matter, <laughs> Like how- any good hospital. There you go. No matter how ill the, suppl- the supplicant or how grave the emergency, the guard guardians of many temples will not admit a client if he cannot give a rich gift to the custodian. (laughs) Even after one has gained admission and survived the ceremonies, the guardians will not permit the neophyte to leave until he still makes another gift. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's $5 to come in, but it's $10 to get out. The supplicant entering the temple is first stripped of all of his or her clothes in everyday life. The Nakarima avoids exposure of his body and its natural functions. (gasps) Are you just getting her? Is it clicking? Nakarema. Yes. Oh. Okay. Uh, I, I picked up on it. So but if you I haven't gotten literally the big reveal, just got that I'll one. give it at the very I'm end. I'm so sorry. No, no, you're great. <laughs> I was honestly, I'm surprised that I'm very excited. In everyday life, the Nakarema avoids exposure of his body and its natural functions. Bathing and excretory acts are performed only in the secrecy of the household shrine, <laughs> where they are ritualized oh, the as parts of the body rights. Oh She's dying now. <laughs> Psychological shock results from the fact that body secrecy is suddenly lost upon entry into the Latipso. Wait, Latipso? Latipso. Yep. Okay, there you go. (coughs) She's dying. A man whose own wife, if you haven't caught on yet, I will explain why this is great at the end of the essay. Do you understand now? I was like, do I read the essay yeah, or just talk no, about the essay? you gotta read it. Yeah. A man whose own wife has never seen him in an excretory act suddenly finds himself <laughs> naked and assisted by a vestal maiden while he performs his natural functions in a sacred vessel. This sort of ceremonial treatment is necessitated by the fact that the excreta are used by a diviner to ascertain the course and nature of the client's sickness. Mm -hmm. Female clients, on the other hand, find their naked bodies are subjected to scrutiny, manipulation, and prodding of the medicine men. Mm -hmm. Few supplicants in the temple are well enough to do anything but lie on their hard beds. The daily ceremonies, like the rites of the holy mouth men, involve discomfort and torture. With ritual precision, the vestal precision, the vestals awaken their miserable charges, each drawn and roll them about on their beds and, and pain while performing ablutions in the formal movements of which the maidens are highly trained. 
At other times, they insert magic wands into the supplicant's mouth or force him to eat substances which are supposed to be healing. From time to time, the medicine men come to their jobs and jab magically treated needles into the flesh. (laughs) The fact that these temple ceremonies may not cure and may even kill the neophyte in no way decreases the people's faith in the medicine men. Mm -hmm. We're almost done. Mm -hmm. There remains uh, one other kind of practitioner known as a listener. This witch doctor has the power to exorcise the devils that lodge in the heads of people who have been bewitched. (laughs) The Nakarema believe that parents bewitch their own children. Mothers Mm -hmm. are particularly suspected of putting a curse on the children while teaching them the secret body rituals. Obviously. The counter magic of the witch doctor is unusual in its lack of ritual. The patient (laughs) simply tells the listener all his troubles and fears, beginning with the earliest difficulties he can remember. The memory displayed by the Nakarema in these exorcism sessions is truly remarkable. Mm -hmm. It is not uncommon for the patient to bemoan the rejection he felt upon being whacked as a babe or weaned (laughs) as a babe, and few individuals even see their troubles going back to the traumatic effects of their own birth. In conclusion... Mm -hmm. Mention must be made of certain practices which have their base in native aesthetics, but which depend upon the the pervasive aversion to the natural body and its functions. There are ritual fasts to make fat people thin Mm. and ceremonial feasts to make thin people fat. Still, other rites are used to make women's breasts larger if they are small (laughs) and smaller if they are large. General dissatisfaction with breast shape is symbolized by the fact that the ideal form is virtually outside of the range of human variation. But everybody loves boobs. A few women afflicted with almost inhuman hypermammary development are so idolized (laughs) that they make a handsome living by simply going from village to village and permitting the natives to stare at them for a fee. Mm. Reference has already been made to the fact that the excretory functions are ritualized, routinized, and relegated to secrecy. Natural reproductive functions are similarly distorted. (laughs) Intercourse is is as taboo as a topic and scheduled as an act. Efforts are made to avoid pregnancy by the use of magical materials or by limiting intercourse to certain phases of the moon. (laughs) Conception is actually very infrequent. When pregnant, women dress so as to hide their condition— Parturation takes place in secret without friends or relatives to assist, and the majority of women do not nurse their infants. Mm. Our review of the ritual life of the Nakarema has certainly shown them to be a magic-ridden people. It is hard to understand how they have managed to exist so long under the burdens with which they have imposed upon themselves. But even such exotic customs as these take on real meaning when they are viewed with the insight provided by Melanowski when he wrote in 1948. Looking for far, looking from far and above, from our high places of safety in the developed civilization, it is easy to see all the crudity and irrelevance of magic, but without its power and guidance, early man could not have mastered his practical difficulties as he has done, nor could man have advanced the higher stages of civilization. Mm-hmm. Okay, y'all. <laughs> If you just thought this was crazy and it went over your head, or if you caught on pretty early on, Nakarema, that is N-A-C-I-R-E-M-A. That is America spelled backwards. backwards. Yeah. Um, the Latipso, that's hospital, hospital. spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about the mouth rights. So the idea is that if you were someone from like a completely different culture. Right. Who didn't know or understand any of these like everyday rituals that are a part mm-hmm. of our lives. What would that look like Mm -hmm. from an outsider's perspective, like looking in on like 
American culture. So the original use of the term in social science and context was because of the body ritual around the Nakarema. Because now mm -hmm. um, Nakarema is a commonly used term in anthropology and sociology. Oh, in relation to aspects of the behavior and society of citizens of the United States of America. Oh. The neologism attempts to create a deliberate sense of self-distancing in order that the American anthropologists might look at their own culture more objectively. Mm -hmm. So, I like when I, I kind of got that it was an allegory, but then when I heard you say Nakarema again, I visualized it instead of it like clicked. just thinking, and that's when it clicked. Yes. That's when that's when that happened. So this article was written to um, satire anthropological paper, anthropological papers on quote unquote other cultures and the culture of the United States. Mm -hmm. Horace Mitchell Minor wrote the paper and originally published it in June, the 1956 edition of the American Anthropologist. Oh. I read it as part of a sociology class, and it was a class I was taking online at UNCG. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to, like, regular classes and also had internet classes. Mm -hmm. But I remember we had to have, like, a discussion about it, and mm -hmm. I, like, wrote my little piece and submitted it. And then I was going back and reading other people's thing, and no one got that it was America. Nobody. And I mean, you... And they were looking at it. You were listening it. and it clicked. Right, thank you. I'm like, these are people who are looking at the word. Oh my God. And it, like they were like, these people sound so crazy. Their culture well, is so weird. even my commentary, I was Very like, early that's on. a crazy dentist. Right. I'm like, I was like, no, yeah, I was like just it's just a dentist. dentist. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I loved, I remember loving this article. Like I yeah, thought it was really funny great. and really interesting. And I was like, okay, like when you put it from that perspective, like yeah. sure, it sounds yeah. weird. Yeah. Um. But yeah, nobody else in this class understood that that's what it was. And I was like, are these people like dumb? dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in the paper, yes. Meyer describes the Nakarema, a little known tribe living in North America. And it says it's between Canada and Mexico. Right. Right. And I was like, because eh, it doesn't mm. say Canada and Mexico. It's like the Canadian whatever and the right, Mexican right, right. who's a what. And I'm like, you mean like between Canada and Mexico? Right, right, right. So... <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so it, where, what it talks about, it's all, like, America. Miner's mm -hmm. article became a popular work reprinted in many introductory textbooks and used as an example of process analysis in the literature text The Bedford Reader. Mm -hmm. The article received the most reprint permission requests of any article from the American anthropologist. Wow. Some of the popular aspects of the Nakarama culture include medicine men and women, Doctors, psychiatrists, pharmacists, mm -hmm. a charm box, a medicine cabinet. Mm -hmm. The, the mouth fount is the sink. The sink. Um, yeah. The mouth right ritual, brushing, brushing teeth. teeth. And the cultural hero, and this is the one where I was like, how am I supposed to pronounce this? Which is <laughs> not Ginasawa. Oh, it's Washington. Washington spelled backwards. Oh, because I was like, that sounds like George Washington, but it must be appropriated for this weird culture. Okay. <laughs> All right. These ritual practices are prescribed as how humans should comport themselves in the presence of sacred things. Mm -hmm. These sacred aspects are the rituals that the Nakarema partake in throughout their lives. In 1972, Neil B. Thompson revisited the Nakarema after the fall of their civilization. Thompson's <laughs> paper, unlike Miner's, primarily offered a social commentary focused on environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Thompson paid special attention to the Eli Bomoluatua, Automobile. There you go. Automobile spelled backwards. Uh, cult and its efforts to modify the environment. 
I mean... The high esteem of the cult is demonstrated... This is an outtake. Mm -hmm. The high esteem of the cult is demonstrated by the fact that near every population center, when not disturbed by the acclimation of debris, archaeologists have found large and orderly collections (laughs) of Eli Bomotua cult symbols. The vast number of these collections have given us the opportunity to reconstruct with considerable confidence the principal ideas of the cult. The newest symbols seem to have nearly approached the ultimate of the Nakarama's cultural idea. Mm-hmm. Ideal, sorry. In the 70s. Yes. Their colors, material, and size suggest an enclosed mobile device that corresponds to no color or shape found in nature, <laughs> although some authorities suggest that at some early time in development, the egg may have been the model. The device was provided with its own climate control system, as well as a system that screened out many of the shorter rays of the light spectrum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also another article later that is the Nakarama versus Teamsterville. <laughs> Jerry Phillips. I hope the Nakarama wins. Studies what he terms speech codes among the Nakarama. Oh. Which he contrasts with the speech codes of another semi-fictionalized group of Americans, the inhabitants of Teamsterville culture. Okay. His Nakarama comprises primarily of middle-class West Coast Americans. Oh. Nakarama is the name of a fictional country in Ronald M. Green's role-playing game aimed at explaining the undergraduate studies, the fundamentals of John Rowell's theory of the justice of fairness mm-hmm. in The Rowell's Game from 1986. It sounds fun. I know, right? Let's play it. <laughs> Rousing good time. <laughs> Green asked the students to take on the role of the Nakaraman citizens. Mm. And acting from unrestrained self-interest, the citizens vote on a series of public issues and attempt to find solutions that do not require anyone to be forced to be act to act against their own will the goal of the game is to show that the only way to obtain social fairness is to ignore ignore one's own individual circumstances mm-hmm. race sex religion income etc when making deliberations that affect public life wow so that is the body ritual of among the nakamara mm-hmm. who are really just Americans. nakarama hey nakarama i Thank you for coming to me on that. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm glad you enjoyed the piece. I'm glad you didn't figure it out right away. No. Because I kept looking at you like, is she going to get this? <laughs> was that where those looks were? Right. I was like, it's an allegory. Oh, well, you heard me. I kept being like, do you get it? <laughs> it's an allegory for something. I don't. Yeah, it's just uh, that's okay. America for yeah, you. Yeah, you know, if you're not from here, right? right? White men on but their you bullshit. Were, you were cracking me up because you were like, "Oh, it sounds like they just hate their bodies," and they go to the. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, girl, they do." It sounds like low self esteem. And this yeah. was written in 1956. I love it. And y'all, it's 2020, and we are still doing the same things same to bullshit. ourselves. Same old shit. So let's get back off our bullshit. Yeah. It's a new millennium from yes. when it was back then. New millennium, new decade. It's a different century. Not from 2019, but from 1956, girl. Fuck yeah. Yeah, let's we're in a new it. place. So, like, get your shit together. Onward and upward. Self-love. Yes. Take a fucking, do a bath bomb, have a face mask. Like, self-care, girl. Clean out your goddamn medicine cabinet. Girl, throw away the charms throw in the charm box. Away. You don't know what they're even good for. Oh, my Why God. the charm man even they're gave them to you. They're expired. They're not yes. going to do anyone any good any good just toss it just toss it so with that being said (laughs) if you enjoyed this and you want to support our show of course the best way to do that is by subscribing to our patreon give them your money 
Get us your money. We have $1, $5, and $15 tiers. Check it out to see the rewards. Yeah. But, of course, without money, there are still ways that you can support us. The best ways you can do that are by leaving us five-star five reviews. On iTunes, Facebook, which you don't listen to them there, but, you know, people review shit on Facebook. Yeah. Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere where you might listen to our podcast or where your friends might listen. Mm -hmm. Spread the word. Subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. And, of course, email Sarah. Tell her you missed her. I know. She'll be back next week. Oh, my gosh. I miss her. her? She's great. She's fantastic. So uh, email her by sending us an email at deadchimestories with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. Tell us how much you love the show. Tell us how much it offended you. Yeah. But leave a goddamn five-star review. (laughs) Even you, Chris Boutte. Even you. Even you. Who's Chris Boutte? He's the rewired troll. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah. you too, Chris Boutte. You too, Chris Boutte. Me too, Boutte. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for listening. Of course, check out Lizard of Oz. It's coming up in a few weeks. It's the February 7th through the 9th and February 14th through the 16th with Eric Jaffe and a bunch of other amazing, fantastic Philadelphia people at The Painted Bride. That's where you can see me next. Mm-hmm. But otherwise... You can follow me on Instagram yes, at KSTINA5. K-S-T-I-N-A-5. Five. That's her Instagram. And of course, Dead Time Stories, all in word mm-hmm. with a Z. Um, Christina, thank you so much for subbing for us. Thank you for having me. It was really great. I hope Aww. you had a good time. I did. I had a great time. I hope the listeners enjoyed yeah, it. There yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope Sarah enjoyed it. Oh, me too. Me too. She's editing this. Love She's going to be like, I'm cutting Bye. this out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking too much. Cut it off. All right. No. We love you, Sarah. We love you, listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Bye. Um, (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Remy Slackman. 